0: is it really that important to eat organic what is conscious parenting does homeopathy actually work oh god the flu how do i beat it naturally how do i prepare for birth what are the benefits
1: of meditation
0: this is healthy happy home the podcast community that offers discussions and solutions for a fully conscious and integrative approach to living and parenting we will explore and open up the topics of natural health and well-being holistic parenting consciousness and work-life balance
1: to empower you to live your healthiest, happiest life. We're so grateful that you're joining us on this journey. We'd love it if you could take the time to rate, review, and subscribe. It will help other people to find us so that we can grow our Elevation Nation. This season of Healthy Happy Home is sponsored by Mega Home Water Distillers, the most reliable and efficient home drinking water distiller
0: mega home are kindly offering listeners of the healthy happy home podcast a five percent discount just use the code hhh5 at checkout thank you to mega home
1: looking for a wellness break in the uk Well, you're in the right place At Retreat Life, we take small groups on exclusive escapes to focus on well-being, fitness, and health. Relax, reconnect, and re-energize on one of our empowering retreats, all located in unique locations within the natural beauty of the British countryside. For more info, go to www.retreatlife.co.uk.
0: Uh, Welcome back to Healthy Happy Home. Um, We recorded, well I recorded myself today um, for the first time. Tilly was not around um, to record this but so I recorded with Crystal Miles um, all about building healthy connections with our babies um, and and, and touching on all of this stuff um, which we are specifically releasing today in honour of Infant Mental Health Awareness Week.
1: Yes, great! It sounds so brilliant. You did such a great job, and and great that you know her already. And she she is married to Dominic, who did the forest does the forest school, isn't she? So yeah, so we had Dominic on episode four, mm-hmm.
0: um, and we'd wanted to get her in ever since because she's got so much knowledge. She's one of these people, like an eternal student, always studying, always learning more, doing more courses. So she's a hypnobirther and a doula and a lactation consultant. And infant massage like everything to do with babies learning about you know babies' emotional and physical needs so it's just yeah. super interesting
1: it was great it's great as well to hear all the kind of up-to-date um you know knowledge and theories on why babies really it really is important what happens to them in those first few hours first few days first few weeks you know Absolutely. leaving them leaving them on their own crying is really hopefully a thing of the past isn't it so that's- I hope so. I mean, we
0: did touch on the quiet out method and there are lots of people still who are big fans of it. Um, for the very reason that it does, you know, babies are more likely to sleep and be better sleepers if you leave them for a few days to cry. Um, so we touched on that and something, a very, very interesting point that Crystal said that really kind of spoke to me was we talk about the mother's mental health and how important that is which neither of us, by the way, were discrediting because you and I are both mothers and we know how important it is. But why is the mother's mental health more important than the baby's mental health? Why aren't they considered equally? So I found that really interesting. And that was something we kind of, you know, opened up and and delved into and spoke about
1: yeah i mean it's good to, good to think about all these things isn't it because people just kind of sit guess because a baby can't talk back or say anything you know, so you know it's easy to slightly disregard it isn't it but it's yeah uh, and also easy to kind of take
0: advice from you know our elders who will say, Well, you know you all turned out fine or la 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 but actually, when we look at all of us and we really delve and we really explore our emotional um you know how we are emotionally our emotional stability our psychological stability we look at it and we go well how fine actually am I you know yeah. might not have had an awful childhood might have had amazing loving parents But some decisions that we all make as parents might not be necessarily the things that are contributing to the healthiest long-term options for our children so you know that was a definite that was definitely an interesting takeaway from this episode for me and I think a lot of people might you know question decisions that they might be making now and and we
1: evaluate yeah like what where those decisions have come from and it's kind of like your conditioning and your programming and it was like like we were saying before if you if you had a baby and no one ever told you anything about looking after children or child rearing or, you know, how would you, you would just so naturally pick it up if it cried, hold it all the time, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't even question that, would you? So it's funny that it's, it's, yeah, we kind of inherit these kind of parenting. Right. That was, that was definitely one
0: of the, again, probably those two things were the biggest takeaways from the episode when Crystal said, you know, if, I can't remember if it was Crystal or me that said it actually. But one of us said, you know, I wonder if no one, if we'd never read a book or no one had ever given us advice yeah. or anything like that. And we were just given this baby and we'd done it all kind of, we went along with our bodies, and not, not by doctors or books or anything else. If a baby cried or, you know, all the other things that we question because we read books about it or take advice, what would we do? Probably we would just follow our instincts. and Our instincts might lead us to different outcomes to what we actually do based on this advice.
1: Yeah, yeah we're all having to get rid of some of our programming, aren't we? As, we as, you, as you get older, you're kind of getting rid of some of the conditioning. Keep the good bits and get rid of the bits that don't serve you, I suppose. I and you and but, I talk about that quite a lot in all aspects of our lives, don't we, recently? Yeah. We've
0: really been delving into that and talking about yeah. conditioning and how it affects our behaviours and, and the decisions we make in all aspects of life. So yeah. I just always well, yeah. think it's good to question, because just because we've always done something or we've always been taught something doesn't make it right.
1: Yeah, Yeah, no, it was really good. You did a great job. everyone's gonna enjoy it as well it's very full of information so let's get on with the show hey yeah enjoy enjoy crystal
0: miles originally trained as a nutritional therapist specializing in preconception and fertility health after giving birth to her first child in 2010 she followed a further interest in all things birth and baby a self-confessed course junkie crystal went on to train in hypnobirthing lactation baby massage and baby yoga three-step rewind as a doula and she's currently studying child psychology. Crystal now trains student instructors on behalf of the International Association of Infant Massage and holds a special interest in attachment theory and infant mental health. She lives in Hertfordshire with her husband Dominic Miles who we interviewed in episode four and their two children where they run a forest school.
2: So hi. Hi. Hi, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me, thank for that lovely introduction. Oh, and in this very strange um way of meeting that we've now that is now normal for us i don't think we should call it that i'm I'm finding um the idea of the new normal i don't know i don't think this this is normal and i don't think it should be normal you're very right (laughs) that's a good point yeah Yeah. i'm just hearing that term and it doesn't sit well with me that that it's normal that we don't connect as humans so it's a a really
0: good point so the temporary accepted norm (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, we have been talking about you and I doing this for a while. Um, I've wanted you to come on the show for a while because um, I love everything you do and everything you speak about. Um, And we decided that we would do this show in the lead up to infant mental health awareness week. Um, So that's on the 7th of June, isn't it? Yep, that's right. Yep, which is will be this coming week when we release this. Um, so talk to us about what infant massage actually is, because like hypnobirthing, the name is a bit misleading, a bit ambiguous, um, and potentially even a bit marginalising. So talk us through what it actually is.
2: Okay, um, so infant massage um, is a communication with your baby. So IAIM, the association that I work for, certainly are very much based around. Um, bonding and communicating with our babies and our children. Um, so we don't see infant massage as a therapy, which um, some providers do. There are lots of therapeutic benefits, but actually it's about getting to know your baby, getting to understand their language, so their verbal language, but also their nonverbal language. Uh, we call it their cues, so what they're telling us with their body language, and really kind of an experience to get to know them and to use nurturing touch, which we know is so important for their development in general, but specifically their brain development. One of the most important things is that we do not massage any babies. So I do get quite a lot of phone calls um, asking me to come and massage babies for them. Um, And after a short conversation, they they soon realise why um, that's not a good idea and why they would be the best person as parents to massage their babies. So we only teach parents to massage their babies. And that's anybody that falls in the category of parent. So um, obviously that's you know, different caregivers um, or adopted or fostered parents, for example, but not um, child care or, or temporary carers. Mm. Um, we believe that it's important to teach the parents because of the really deep emotional bonds that you get through massage and touch. And then if they want to then teach somebody else that they believe has a close relationship to the baby, then that's completely their choice. But we choose to teach parents.
0: Right. OK, so that, yeah, that's a good explanation because I think it's... Um, yeah, I've, it, it sounds like it's just you're going to take your baby for a little massage and that would be that. But actually, it's so much deeper, isn't it? And it, it really encompasses a lot to do with child health in all aspects. I, I think not just mental health, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think one of the ways that we attract parents is certainly to talk about the benefits in terms of co- commonly relief. So we hear that infant massage is great for Digestive issues such as constipation or trapped wind or gas um, or helping promote a deeper sleep, which attract a lot of parents (laughs) (laughs) Helping your baby to feel more calm and relaxed Um, These are often on week one. I'll often ask the parents that attend why they've come and this is what comes up Um, as well as bonding Bonding is also also does come up Um, But as I said, we consider it to be about communication rather than so much a therapy so although we have these great therapeutic benefits there's much more to it. Um, Again, it's about um, listening to babies, about understanding that they um, are little people with their own minds and very much feel and understand what's going on and helping them to feel um, valued and loved and respected um, and kind of in the long run helping them to become more compassionate, empathetic human beings.
0: So is it something that helps um, that encourages this understanding between the parent and the baby in terms of listening to them, because you, you said you know learning how to listen to them and reading their cues.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I often think that's quite a light bulb moment as well, and it, and it certainly was for me when I when I first um, went in for infant massage with my son, not knowing too much about it, but actually um, learning what we call their yes and their no cues. I think is really important. Um, one of the examples that I give with this is. Sometimes we do things to our babies as their parent um, as a way of looking after them, um, but we do it often unconsciously. So we might just take their clothes off or change a nappy or go behind them with a tissue and blow their nose without really actually explaining to them what we're doing. So a lot of it is actually about um, respecting our babies and understanding that you know, it's important to discuss with them what's going on and what's happening to them and permission and consent is a big part of that as well. So we never massage a baby without going through what we call our ritual of permission. So we start every massage the same way. So they learn um, what we're asking and they give us a chance with those cues so that their language, their verbal or non-verbal language to say yes or no. And they can, they can absolutely tell us so much um, if we learn how to listen to them and we understand that. So a huge part of our programme Uh, whenever I'm talking about the benefits of infant massage it very rarely talks about the strokes and the massage itself actually because that's almost um, the tool that we're using for these much deeper um, connections and bonds and everything that's going on developmentally behind the massage.
0: There's so much to it and I'm really going to delve into that because I think understanding our children you know the whole permission thing and getting to know them and responding to their needs appropriately is really important so i want to delve into that in a minute but Mm -hmm. what i want to know is you i did list in the in your bio all your accolades and um you do say you're a self-confessed course junkie and i can see why one course would lead into the next so everything you do does fall under one kind of umbrella of child health and development so do you think that doing one modality kind of led to a deeper knowledge of the last one and that kind of having them all gives you this broader knowledge to be able to do what
2: you do? Yeah, absolutely. Um and that's why I just keep doing course after course after course. Um it started for me with um with um actually breastfeeding peer support was the first thing I did. I was just I'd had my first baby and I was going to a breastfeeding uh, cafe just um socially actually because we, we were lucky we had a, a good start with breastfeeding, we got some good support. But I wanted to meet mums. I was a new mum um and I didn't know any other mums. I didn't do NCT or any of these things that, you know, helps you get your mummy tried. So I went along to a breastfeeding cafe to socialise. Um, and, you know, we, I went for months and, and made some wonderful friendships. And soon the organisers basically were looking for more people who, to become the peer supporters. So they were doing um, a training for volunteers. So it kind of started there where I just um, went along with the training with my baby and I learnt how to support other mums with, with kind of quite general, um, with the, the less complicated, side of peer support so just positioning and attachment and reassurance and kind of just assisting them with breastfeeding basically mm. um, and that in itself developed once I trained with them I actually ended up getting a paid position with a different borough and then getting trained further and further up to kind of lactation consultant um standard although I, I didn't do the exam so I'm not a lactation consultant right. um, just because I was going down other avenues really um and some, some complications in some of the uh, um requirements that they like um, you need to have a, a health background and my n- degree in nutrition, I did nutritional therapy, um, which I studied for four years for, but they only accepted nutritionists or dietitians. So I can, oh, and I didn't really want to sit through another 14 health science subjects, which I'd already qualified in. Mm. So I decided to leave that anyway. So I've gone off on a tangent there. Um, okay. so yes, so first of all, it was, um, it was breastfeeding training and then I did a baby massage course, um, with my son as I said when he was about three months old uh so kind of around the same time and I just loved it I loved it more than anything that i would ever done with them and we my husband and I had already found that we naturally followed quite um we didn't know at the time that things these things are labeled nowadays but we followed a natural kind of attachment parenting style mm. and I felt that when I was doing the baby massage course um that, that the teacher was Um, the whole course really in itself, the whole programme just really reinforced what we were doing. And it made, you know, another thing when you question everything as a new parent that made me think, you know what, I feel like that I am doing the right thing by responding to my baby's needs and by feeling uncomfortable about leaving them to cry or leaving them all or always carrying them in the sling or, you know, having them in my bed and all these things that you worried about. And it was just another thing. And we were finding our way at that time that just really gave me the confidence that, this was the right thing to do um for healthy brain development and for really secure attachments and for their future as well to i feel like it goes hand in hand if you have positive relationships with with your children and secure attachments then they will go on themselves in later life the research shows this to have positive relationships themselves Mm -hmm. and and to learn you know they're imitators they're such imitators you can see that in your children i'm sure in the smallest things that they do they copy us and that's how they learn so if we are responding to their needs and showing them empathy and respect and showing them that they're valued by responding to their cues, not saying, oh, they need to cry. Let's leave them. Like actually saying, I hear you. I'm here. I'm listening. I've got you. Mm-hmm. you know, in turn, you know, that's going to make them turn into compassionate adults who, who do the same thing and have better relationships and are just kinder, which our, our society just needs that. We just need more empathy and more respect and more kindness so
0: we absolutely do let's crack that one open a little bit because cry it out is such a contentious subject i mean yeah. almost as contentious as vaccines mm-hmm. um, not quite but um i like to look at i like to look at the science of things and yeah. but i like to look at unbiased science which is hard sometimes because You know, there's so many variants and I find that most scientific studies don't actually take into account all the variants. So even top research studies aren't always um, necessarily correct, in my opinion. Um, But there was a new study recently and was all over the media, which prompted the headlines such as leaving babies to cry it out does not affect their behavior in later life, Ah. which angered me somewhat because people on Facebook were sharing it, like, see, I was right all along. And I got a bit annoyed because I thought, there's something that doesn't sit right with this. So I looked at the study myself. Um, It's a study carried out by the University of Warwick. Um, And so many variants haven't been taken into account. So the first one was that the heading says that it it won't affect behavior in later life, but they only followed the babies to 18 months old. So when they're referring to later life, they haven't actually stated that they're referring to later than one month old or zero. Um, and when they said they followed how, so in when they talk about later life, they were talking about how they followed how attached to the mother the baby was. Saying that if the babies were still attached to the mother and had a good bond, then the cry out didn't affect them. It didn't take nuance into account at all in regards to having our emotional needs met by our caregivers and how it impacts our emotional stability in adulthood. And I am a big believer. And I think maybe instinctively, forget all the studies, but I do think looking around us, we were from the generation of, you know, cry it out. And the kind of the generation just after us was the whole Gina Ford generation. Yeah. I've never, there's never been more um, teenage um, anxiety before. So, you know, again, it begs the question of when people say, but they're fine. Well, what are the things that contributed to all this teenage angst and anxiety and
2: depression? This could be one of those things. Okay. Yeah, I have two things to say about it. So one of them will be more sciencey because I too love the science. Um, and I read that study and came to very much the same conclusions you did. But before we do that, I kind of wanted to touch on exactly that. We are so, we're living in a time where everything needs to be justified. Yeah. By science and everything needs to be put in this little box mm-hmm. um, you know, that needs to be ticked. And on a really basic level, looking at a study like that, what, how does that infant feel in that moment? Yeah in that exact moment where that baby is crying, they are communicating a need. Quite simply, that is why babies cry. They are telling you that they have a need that they cannot meet themselves and they are looking to be soothed. So whatever that means when they're an adult or whatever it means for their mental health or whatever it means when you look at all these studies, what does it mean in that moment? I mean, as adults, we, you know, we, (laughs) We want to be comforted or soothed if we have somebody we love near us and we're upset. Um, you could say the same about the post-sleeping argument, couldn't you? you know, We like to have comfort. We like to, to you know, we're mammals. We like yeah. to be close to other people. And actually, you know, scientifically it's shown that we are carry mammals. We, babies want to be with us all the time. So they want to be in arms or they want to be held close um, the majority of the time because skin to skin is calming and soothing. And we and we know that we need to look at somebody like Niels Bergman, whose research is fantastic, mostly on premature babies, but he he delves into skin to skin a lot. And his research Niels Bergman. He's a South African um, neuroscientist and paediatrician. I think. But he he's amazing. And he he does a lot of work with kangaroo care and wanting to kind of abolish incubators, really Mm. um, suggesting that babies undoubtedly there's no question to his research being being accurate that if babies are in skin to skin contact they are um they are soothed they are calmer their temperature regulates their heart rate regulates um you know everything all their stats particularly with these premature babies that he did most of his research on improve drastically you know we know that human connection is soothing and calming and yeah in that exact moment of that baby being upset why do we need science to tell us how they're going to feel about that when they're older why would we not comfort and soothe our children when they have a need so right
0: like why do we this is the thing you know I feel like people are needing it to be justified you know if they want to do something a certain way like they want to do cry out because they've been told by their mums or whoever it is you need to let the baby cry so that they sleep better yeah and then they do it and maybe they feel guilty. So maybe having this study makes them feel less guilty. I don't, I mean, yeah. I I never, when we follow our instincts, I don't know any mother whose instinct, if she was, if no information had ever been told to her and no one had ever told her how to parent her child, no one, she'd never heard a bit of advice. I wonder if there would be any mother that would consciously be okay with letting their baby cry.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, um, I agree. I, I've never met a parent who said that they feel really com- really confident and happy to do it. I think that, you know, I understand I, you know, and empathise with parents who, who feel they need to go down that path and get to a point where they feel that that's their only choice or they are impacted by the huge pressure from society about what babies, you know, should be doing or what, how parenting should look. And, you know, there's so many misconceptions and... Um, I mean, the idea behind what babies can do and achieve is so unrealistic. One, mm. of, one of my favourite sayings that I've heard, actually, is the only thing that needs to change around, our, um, around infant sleep is our own adult expectations of it.
0: Yeah.
2: We just, we it is know. hard,
0: though. Listen, it's, it's hard. Okay? hard. I've, I've got kids, you know, my kids are notoriously bad sleepers. Um, thankfully, my little one is finally sleeping through the night she still wakes up at five and listen, it's not easy. You know, when you're exhausted and you have to manage and juggle everything and work and like, it's exhausting, you know, it is like, like we can take away all these expectations and you know, when she's crying at five in the morning, I just want to be like, Oh, you know, just let her cry, you know, because I'm knackered, but I can't, I just can't do it.
2: No, absolutely. And, um, you know, it's because we're not supposed to be living how we live now. We parents don't get the support that they need. Yes, exactly. and that There were four adults on every child. Mm. You know, that, that's how it should be when we lived with our extended families or, with our, you know, going way way back with tribes, like we're not the supposed to live mentality. in such a secular way that it makes it, it impossible. So I, I completely empathize and understand why parents feel that they need to, to do something. And what's, what's wonderful is, um, Initiatives and movements like the holistic sleep uh, program that's happening yeah. now because yeah. what I've always uh, I, I understand that parents need may need to make changes, but I've never understood why Their own mental health trumps that of the child and then we're missing that obvious link that you know In, in mental health where infant mental health leads to adult mental health We've got so much going on for, for school-aged children now for adults, which is fantastic, but we're missing the link if, we you know, we wouldn't need to be doing half of this work in mental health with children and with adults if we didn't realize that it starts at the beginning. So going back to the science part of, of this of, uh, the topic, I mean, it's the first two years of life. Uh, so it's three years, isn't it? It's approximately 1,001 days, I think they say, the critical 1,001 days. are the most crucial for brain development. Um, something like 80% of the brain cells that we ever have um, are manufactured during that time. Yeah. So it's huge, this period of brain development. And they say every second, there's um, a million connections being made in the brain. Wow. Um, and then there's a whole process that goes on, you know, too, too heavy into, uh, into the science of um, myelation and, and the myelin sheath. But if you're imagining kind of the, the synapses, the brain cells as almost like a wire that's insulated. And that's, they, they're not insulated when, when babies are first born and that insulation has to take place. And that makes messages to the brain faster and more effective and, um, but by re- stimulation by responding to babies um, lovingly preferably and, and you know seeing to their needs um, that myelation process is quickened and it, and it... might have skipped a bit <laughs> I'm going to science but I don't I'm rubbish at explaining um... no
0: it's good it's you know it it, it it does explain it and I think just knowing at all that this does affect the brain in an actual physical way.
2: Yeah. What's happened with with the connections that are being made, those kind of million connections every second, um, is that those connections that aren't being made are are closed off, basically, and and they die. So you've got all these brain cells and all these connections that are being made constantly at that age. If they're not being used, then they're closed off and then they die. And those that are used, and used often, are reinforced. So those positive messages, if babies are getting them, are reinforced. So that's leading to a more kind of healthy brain development.
0: Wow, <laughs> so I, I remember growing up watching on um, the news, because the news was on far too much in my house when I was growing up, those poor Romanian children in the 90s. And yeah. um, I remember seeing them Those images will never leave my mind, I don't think. They absolutely haunted me and traumatized me. Yeah of these babies all in these big cots, all just alone with flies on them crying. And then there was a documentary done on it recently of how they ended up. And um, it followed one guy in particular and he just spoke about um, what it was like and that all the children would rock back and forth all the time because yeah. it's a, a child's, I, I'm not gonna explain it properly, but how they, they're they expecting to be as, as baby, you know, animals were expecting to have touch and from, from the mother or from the caregiver and they don't. So their way of kind of mitigating that is by rocking back and forth. Yeah. And it it's haunting. And then they did studies on the brains of these children and sh- showed that it, it showed that their brain cells were impacted greatly because of it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, they're the lucky ones that survive as well. So um, if you go further back in history, um, nearer the kind of sort of the 18th century, I think it was, there were um, the, no, I'm good at centuries. the 1800s, sorry, the beginning of the 1800s, they were saying that um, these kind of orphanages or foundling hospitals, um, they, close to 100% of the infants would die. They were, they, were looked, they were technically looked after, they were fed, they were watered and their medical needs were met, but they had um, no interaction, no touch no love and they all died they died because they had a lack of touch you know, touch is vital for our being it's as vital I think, thanks who says as vital as as vitamins and, and minerals to the infant so you know, we need touch to survive um it's a study with monkeys and they take the these babies were orphaned or were taken away from them i think they were orphaned um it's a bit controversial this study lots of people don't like it because of the cruelty of it um but these basically these infants were given two options there was kind of and um, a pretend mum who wasn't real, but was like a, a, a cloth um, with a feeding device, um, which had nothing. And then there was one, like a wire with a feeding device that didn't have the kind of soft cloth. Um, and despite the, the one that they could get food and water from, um, would be able to keep them alive. They all went to the cloth one. They all went to cling um, close to the, the, the kind of pretend mum because mm-hmm. that's what they wanted. That's our innate desire to have a primary caregiver and to be loved you know we all have that in, in inside us when we're born we all have this instinct to you know for a secure attachment from a primary caregiver so we we look for that we want that and we know we can see in kind of more sad cases where perhaps um parenting isn't ideal or, or children are neglected that those children still so desperately seek that love and want that love and, and kind of you know, it's kind of sad, isn't it, to, to watch or, or to see or to hear about when they just still yeah. think and to get that love from their parents.
0: But. I know. I find it interesting when we were talking, you know, because I do talk about this a lot, about the village mentality, because we've touched on that a bit. And it's like, you know, what you were saying, that we, our modern lives, need us to do certain things and react in certain ways. So... I mean, where does it end? Because our modern lives need us to be so different to our animalistic state or what an infant's animalistic state requires that we are, I mean, it's actually quite frightening because so we don't have the support from the other four caregivers. Usually, you know, very rarely people actually have any support anymore unless they have paid support at home which just isn't the same, you know, if you're fortunate enough to have that amazing, but it, it's not the same as having your mother come over and your sisters and your, you know, to help you look after your baby. Yeah. Um, but the fact that because of our modern lives, we have to get up and go to work. So the baby has to sleep because I have to do that. Yeah. It's just, it's worrying, isn't it? Because we are in that
2: life. We do have to get up and go to work how can we make this work, you know? Yeah, and we, ha- and we have, to, there's an element of, of evolution there, you know, we have to evolve yeah. um, to, a, to a point because we do live differently now. Um, what the research shows is that so long as there is um, a good enough caregiver, uh, and you can kind of decide what, what that definition means, but mm-hmm. you know, a good enough caregiver, you know, as in perhaps children aren't being abused or neglected, um and they're getting some form of love and and touch and connection um Mm. then then they'll be okay and we are as humans humans, sorry no you carry on sorry as as humans we are um, extremely resilient um so i think it always kind of comes back to that initial kind of primary caregiver or that bond uh, Mm. or secure attachments but we are extremely resilient so children that don't have that for example or um i love my my passion really is working with families who've maybe had a delayed or a difficult start Mm. um, whether that's you know due to illness or separation Um, and we're not like animals you know if you take a a puppy away and you you know the the mum will reject it they won't take it back we um, are extremely resilient as humans and it's never too late to bond it's a process Um, and there are so many wonderful ways this is why I love infant massage Mm. so much because it ticks every single element of bonding in that's in just that one activity that helps with bonding, It helps with attachment, It helps with brain development, It helps with nurturing touch. There's so much to it, and it can all be just through this kind of simple activity where, you know, you could just be really saying to a parent, hey, come and do this, it's great for your constipation, but <laughs> you're getting all this extra, you know, without yeah. even knowing about it.
0: But we do know that it does affect, you know, we are resilient, humans are resilient, like you say. Um... We're resilient, but these things can affect us later in life, um, in all manner of ways. So what way what how does that show up later in life?
2: Um I think it's quite a lot to do with our own relationships. That's a big one.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, you know, we know if, if children who have positive relationships as they are as they are growing, and then as I said earlier, if they're kind of shown um what a healthy relationship is, what healthy touch is, what consent is, um, then they, you know, have better relationships themselves. There's also the ability to um, relax and um, regulate your own stress responses. Mm-hmm. So in particular, in particular with massage, again, that's, that's a huge part um, when you massage, um, not just the baby, but also you as the adult you have a reduction in cortisol in that stress hormone in your body. Um, and you get huge peaks of oxytocin, dopamine, endorphins, all those wonderful feel good hormones mm. that help you feel calm and relaxed. And, um, with babies, if we respond, um, and parent responsibly and see to their needs and respond to their cues, um, then they learn that they don't need to kind of work up into that stress response. They learn how to self-regulate as well. And, um, the ability to kind of calm themselves, you know, actually, you know, that, not to be confused with this myth of self-soothing or anything like that. Yeah. It's about kind of as they get older and you know realizing basically that if I'm overwhelmed or stressed, that I can soothe that and that can be soothed. Mm.
1: Yeah.
2: So
0: the 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 kind of um, countering argument that comes up a lot of time is babies need sleep and when they get enough sleep, they're healthier and they're happier. So if you let them, and I agree babies need sleep, and (laughs) I need sleep, but (laughs) if you, you know, how does that argument work? Because most of my, you know, people that I know who did cry it out, their babies sleep, that's it, right? And, you know, as far as they're aware, their babies wake up in the morning happy, and they're fine. My babies don't sleep, (laughs) they're all tired. I still instinctively and intuitively believe in what I do, but I think there might be something to what the other people are saying. So how mm. do we balance
2: that out? Why well, babies don't sleep either? It's a difficult one. It reminds me of what you said earlier. Um, you know, and I'm not um, a, such a sleep expert either. So um, might be a good question for, for a, a healistic sleep expert or somebody, but um, just from kind of linking it to what I do know or um, with my own experiences it reminds me of what you said, you know, actually, if we'd never read a book or had an expectation that this is how something should be, mm. would we be having this conversation? It's, yeah. you know, actually if you are responding to your baby's needs throughout the day, then they will, they will fall asleep in your arms. They'll fall asleep when they're tired. You'll feed them or rock them or soothe them to sleep without thinking it's a bad habit or a rod for your own back. Um, mm. and they'll get the sleep that they need. Um, Rich, going back, love that one. And again, um, this is tricky because in our modern society, the fact is that mothers um, are working um, and or, you know, or are trying to function in a world without support where they feel that they do need more sleep. Because even if you're not working,
0: you know, it's getting
2: through the day is hard enough, even if you're not working. What I do know is that. Talking, you know, crying out method, for example, is yes, it works, but at what cost? As you said, Mm -hmm. and um, you know, and and this isn't in in judgment people that that do it. And a huge part of of the work that we do, for example, in the classes that we run, is is to provide a really non-judgmental space. So we don't um, give any advice; we put it to the group. So if, if a mother wants to say, "Hey, I want to talk about crying out," what do you think? I would say. Has anybody else in the group experienced that or tried that? And we we facilitate the conversation within the group because it's a really safe space mm. that's non-judgmental and that we don't offer advice. So um, I just wanted to, to to mention that really because mm-hmm. from my personal point of view, I you know, there's I from a from a developmental point of view, I can see the, the impact of not responding to your baby's needs. Mm. But again. Yeah. <laughs> if could go back to that kind of good enough caregiver um you know that that makes us function as human beings but it's a bit like optimum isn't it don't we all want optimum and we know that the the optimum is um a baby whose need who's, whose needs are met um who is responded to who can have um you know their, their brains will develop and they will feel um more confident and independent. And have more self-esteem um, and you know there are so many wonderful benefits to responding to your baby's needs that make them um, you know these secure attachments are, are a great foundation for their whole life and whole, yeah. and whole mental health so again you know I'm not saying that we shouldn't do those things um, but there is absolutely a way to do it that um, isn't detrimental so why why not take that option and I think that's a lovely evolution that's happening in in the sleep world not everywhere coming through that we can still um, do sleep support which is a much nicer uh, my nicer word than sleep training Um, we can still do sleep support and and help babies to achieve a better sleep pattern and help parents feel you know supported without it being at the detriment to what the baby's needs are
0: yeah because I like what you said before about why should the parent's mental health trump the baby's mental health Mm. You know, it's like in birth, all anyone says is, you know, a healthy baby is all that matters. And our community will say, but, you know, the mother matters as well. The healthy baby isn't all that matters. Yeah. And yet then the baby's born and apparently the baby doesn't matter anymore. And only the mother, you know, the parents needs matter. So I really like that analogy of the, why should the parent, you know, why should the parents have mental health trump the baby's mental health because I think that's a really good way of putting it. We do need to be so, you know, aware of our baby's needs and their emotional needs and how the decisions we make now will set them up for later in life. Yeah. And we do obviously need to be stable caregivers who, you know, are mentally well and physically well. Um, and so, we do have to find ways to manage it. But I absolutely believe that our mental health shouldn't trump the baby's mental health. We're all as important as each other. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really into um, Sarah Ockwell Smith at the moment. I quite like her books and her blog. Yeah, Gentle
2: Parenting.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, she's written about holistic sleep. I actually, because I read a blog today about um, um, settling children into school because Braxton will be starting school in September and uh, it's hard enough going from no socialising at all to being put in a school setting. So yeah. Um, yeah, I found all of that quite interesting just because she talks about holistic sleep. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about the Rewind stuff that you do, okay. um, Three Step Rewind. I, th- I have um, many friends who have had traumatic births and most people I know don't even know about this. And I actually, I only know about it through you and I've recommended loads of people to you because of it. So talk Mm -hmm. us through that because it's so important.
2: Um, Okay, yeah, so the Three Step Rewind program is, um, uh, it's based on NLP methods, so the neuro-linguistic programming. um, that basically, in simple terms, helps to shift um, any kind of difficult feelings or, or hard, feelings or emotions around an experience um that are interfering with you perhaps um on a regular basis so maybe through flashbacks or um anxiety or just not being able to get um you know these upsetting feelings out of your head about what was a traumatic experience.
0: Oh, so um,
2: it's not actually just about birth. No. Um, so I, I mean I, I trained with a provider who is very much focusing on on birth with, with birth awareness. Um, but actually you can watch um, videos on, on YouTube of um, a great example. I can't remember the, I can't remember his name. Um, there's a, a guy who kind of is really um, an expert in this, and he does a wonderful video. I have to look up his name. Um, he does a wonderful video with a lady who has a phobia of bees because, as a as a child, she fell into or, or a hive or something oh, wow. um, and got you know thoroughly stung and attacked by bees to such a degree that if the bee was even in the room, you know, she would have an absolute panic attack and flashbacks. Yeah. Um, and all sorts of things. So he um, he actually does just something so simple, and this is all all on camera. I'll Have to find you the link um, where you know in an audience of people, he just finds someone random and basically had some I think information about this experience before, um, and just talks her through it and makes her visualise that experience happening, and then gets her to go through this process in her mind of kind of visualising it, um, playing it through playing it backwards and and then looking at it from a few different perspectives so she's looking at her her, she's watching herself and then she um you know maybe from far away or you know you can you can adapt to this as much as you want so you can kind of blur an image if it's too hard for somebody or you can put them further away from it um and you kind of watch it in the third person and then you can go through that process again um maybe sitting in an armchair but watching it on a screen for example or in the cinema um and then you get go through it again um perhaps where they're actually putting themselves in that experience again and from their own eyes so you go through this process and you each time you're rewinding it so you're playing it backwards and and um, it's a really simple process um but somehow it just shifts these patterns in the brain that reorganize how you're storing this um this trauma or these heavy feelings and it kind of files it somewhere else in the brain if you like in simple terms so Mm Instead of it causing, you know, lots of daily anxiety or flashbacks or making you feel really upset about it, it's still there. You're never going to forget. It's not like it's going to wipe the memory of what happened. But mm. it helps you just just deal with it. Um, I did it myself as part of my training. Um, and I had a really traumatic experience between my two children because we, we lost a baby in the middle. Um, and it was a really traumatic birth. And, um, and it was so triggering. And to... There were songs I couldn't listen to, you know, memory boxes that I couldn't open. And um, just to talk about it, just to have this conversation right now, I would just, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be able to have it. Um, and and when I went through this process, which is done by relaxation. So in, or basically it's done almost like a hypnobirthing script where mm-hmm. somebody is listening to a, a relaxation that I would read um, and they're present for it. So we're kind of interacting, but they're visualizing. Um, you don't, you can talk about the experience as well as part of the first session, but it's not essential. So if people really can't talk about it, it doesn't matter so long as they can recall it and think about it. Um, And then we basically um, go through this lovely relaxation. um, And and that's it. And it's, 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 it's almost magic (laughs) how it works. Um, But we, we score some, for example, when we have that first conversation, I might say, well, you know, can you rate the level of Um, intensity of that feeling you know when you when you think of that memory how intense is that feeling that you're struggling with and you know mine was like a nine or a ten you know it was pretty traumatic yeah Um, I struggled to choke up just thinking about it you know and then after the the um, process you get scored again and um I said what what's your score now and I I honestly just couldn't I couldn't answer at first and then when I did I was like one wow And I I just didn't understand it at the time. And because I'm me, (laughs) I I wanted to really push it. So when I got home, I did it. I played all the triggers. I played the songs I couldn't listen to. I went through my memory box. I looked at photos. Um, Really punished yourself. I just really wanted to know if it was like, if I'm going to do this, I need to know it works. Um, And I, I, to this day, to have this conversation, I just think, wow, actually, I... um, you know, some of you would have to tell you more in depth about exactly what, what processes are happening in your brain for this to work. Um, but it does work. Um, and it's just so simple. It's, it's a lovely relaxation. Um, what a nice thing to do. Just relax and listen to a nice script and, and feel better afterwards. So something so basic um, that I really wish would just be available. Well, I wish a lot of things would be available to, to women who've had a traumatic birth.
0: Yeah, I agree. Because... The friends that I've told about this and like I said I didn't even know about it and I'm kind of in this world so it was um I definitely yeah would you know I keep telling friends who have had traumatic births to contact you and and do that. Um you have written a lovely blog about your experience, um, which you sent to me once, um, which is lovely. And if you're okay with it, we might put it in the show notes. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Um then go ahead.
0: Yeah, it was um really brought it here to my own was very nice to not nice it was um good to be able to share in your journey and understand it I think it's mm. I think these stories need to be shared it's important for these stories to be shared
2: yeah absolutely sure. it be a you know it's okay to talk about these things and then there are so many women who don't feel that they can talk about it or you know in, in no other time in, in life well I was talking about loss particularly but um you know with loss, you know, if it's an infant or a baby or a pregnancy, it's taboo and it's not okay to talk about it. And there's no, no other instance in your life of somebody close to you would have died that you would feel that you can't talk about that or honor it. So it's, it's, it's really sad for a lot of people.
0: Yeah, there's so much surrounding, you know, infant loss, miscarriage, you know, mm. that whole, anything that comes under that. Uh, you know, I, I have, I mean, I've had a couple of miscarriages myself, um, obviously yours was a totally different situation, but even so, you know, I've got friends who have struggled deeply with miscarriage mm. early on to be made to feel like they can't, they shouldn't have those feelings because it was so early on.
2: Well, you, almost, just not did it yourself. It. you almost, you just did it yourself. I did, but that's not the same. Why not? It, it, no, it, <laughs>
0: you're right. You're right. But and I, I also... Too. I also think that there is a it is important to justify and validate the feelings of someone who has actually lost a child.
2: Yes yeah well I mean I do the same thing because we lost our baby in in mid-pregnancy and so if somebody has lost their baby at term then I feel like my experience isn't as valid as theirs Um, but actually you know the moment you you find out or feel or have an instinct or take a test or find out that you're pregnant that's the moment where you uh, you know, that's where your hopes and dreams and your vision of your future lie. Absolutely. And I don't think that whether you're four weeks or 40 weeks, obviously they're very different experiences, but you've still lost that child. So yeah. know, it's all valid, it needs to be validated
0: 100%. The conversation around that needs to be opened up. Definitely. Um, with attachment. I know you because I've said, <laughs> I've seen all the pictures of all your slings and I remember saying to you once, can I buy that one off you? And you're like, no, I'm keeping them. I'm like, for what?
2: For my grandchildren? <laughs> yes, my grandchildren. Absolutely. Don't, funny, my husband, um, Don, you know, um, he was saying yesterday, um, we'd lent one to a friend and actually just yesterday he was saying, when's that sling coming back? And, um, and he was saying to my two children who are who nine and five, that he was telling them all about how granddad's going to wear their babies in his slings and uh, he's mm-hmm. got this special one that's that's his um oh, <laughs> yes. that's yeah, so in, definitely an important part of, of our life um carrying our babies and um and holding them close and and um yeah all these things we just found you know just found our way and it took us a while to to feel confident and comfortable that our instincts were right and it was okay to parent the way we wanted to um but then once we kind of made peace with the fact that despite people telling us maybe it wasn't the right thing, that we felt that instinctively it was. Um, it just felt like such an, an easier ride, actually. You know, babies just are quite simple if we meet their needs. Mm. And when they're close to us and at our eye level and engaging on a level that we're engaging on, um, they're, they're just they're happier and they're calmer. Mm.
0: I love that you talk about, well, first of all, I just love this idea of a world where grandparents are walking around with their babies in their slings. How amazing yeah. is that? Yeah. Um, that's why I'm keeping them all. <laughs> I know. I know. It's just, it's just such a beautiful imagery, you know, to kind of visualize that happening one day. Um, this reminds me
2: of, um, sorry, I'm interrupting you. That's okay. Um, thinking of, of the impact of early parenting um, and just a moment that's happening right now with my children um, in lockdown this week they have I'm, I'm a bit protective over my baby massage dolls uh, so <coughs> when we teach baby massage something I should have mentioned earlier is we never massage the babies because it's of the importance of that pair and bond we we demonstrate on a doll a very realistic doll um, and my dolls are very much my babies they all have their own names and they all wear clothes <laughs> and nappies uh, cloth nappies and uh, you know I, I really care for them and I don't often let my children play with them <laughs> because they have so many toys and I just, um, I, you know, we know that children, yeah. I don't want jam and chocolate on them. So, <laughs> um, so basically, um, this week I just, um, my, I've been doing a little bit of massage, um, videos for this, um, uh, for this video I've been working on for the association. Um, and this week they have decided that they want to play with my dolls. So I've let them which is a big deal. (laughs) So um, last night, um, my husband came to talk to me and he just said, I've just peeked in, you know, Robin, our youngest, our five-year-old daughter is going to bed and she's got one of my baby massage dolls. And he said, she's just sat there. She's got a little toy sling and she's put her in the sling and she's rocking the baby and she's singing to the baby and she's being so gentle and so Mm. nurturing. And, um, you know, don't get me wrong. I mean, my, my children spent most of the day trying to kill each other and, and punch each other and yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the, difference is, the difference is when she was nurturing a baby
0: yeah. she was doing
2: what she's been taught that's it and that and was my message and my son you know he's nine and um you know he, he won't kill me for, you know, if he ever sees this but um but no he, he's very young at heart which I love as well and um he very much loves playing with with dolls and he, he still has this little buggy that he puts the doll in, and he is doing the same thing and they are walking around the house right now to the point, it's as close to broody as I've got. <laughs> <not> quite, <laughs> but they are just the way they are handling the dolls, the gentleness, um, the, like you know, very much as if they were a real baby. The way they're just um, singing to them and nurturing them and saying like, "Oh, the baby's crying. We must feed them. We must think. We must do this." Mm. And it just gives me this little moment um, of you know, they say that children learn most of their parenting skills in the first three years. which I think is amazing um and it goes back to this brain development you know this time where you know most brain development other than in the womb that's going to happen is these early years and they are taking it all in and they are learning so much um and it just just this moment watching them playing with with these babies and seeing how nurturing they were and today my daughter said tonight mommy before bed can can you show me how to baby massage um my little aria the dolly that she's got i'd like to give her a massage (laughs) but yesterday um sorry the day before. sorry am i um, on wednesday i had a a zoom call with um vimla mcclure and she's the founder of um the international association of infant massage who i train with and she was a visionary and it was just amazing to talk to her um basically attachment theory was so young. And um, so New, when she basically, she's accredited with bringing infant massage to the West. Mm. Um, so she was traveling in India in the 70s, working in orphanages um, and brought this program over to America. And you know, that was the start, basically, of infant massage coming over to the West, along with Frederick Laboya, who was doing something similar and writing amazing books about massage and pictures. Um, but I asked her, you know, as she was a visionary at the time. There was no research. There was, you know, the Touch Institute research was only just coming out. Um, An attachment theory in itself was so young. I was like, you know, how did you know? Like, what was it that, you know, made you think that this was something so special and you should kind of bring this? You know, her vision was to kind of have everybody in the world do it because she saw that it was such a fantastic way to bond, that it would make, you know, better human beings. Mm. And she said, um, I used to just watch the children in the orphanage and the older girls in particular. Um, and she just said, the children would just walk around. Constantly touching each other, constantly hand in hand. You know, it, it was such a kind of touchy feely community. And she said, and they were just so loving and so kind and so empathetic and sympathetic to each other. Um, and she said it was just like nothing she'd ever seen. Oh, it's just and, heartbreaking. I know. <laughs> but this was a time, you know, really in the West where we were doing the opposite. Mm. we had pediatricians we had you know people putting out books experts saying that we should not give our babies eye contact yeah You yeah. you should not you should you know give them a pat on the head at night if you feel that it's appropriate um don't look at them in the eye don't give them any physical contact you know we had a very much a time where actually it's not that long since we even you know accepted that babies feel pain we just think babies are these property if you like that we just do things to and um, and it's just, you know, neuroscience and, you know, ev- all the research and evidence shows us the opposite. Well, so, like we're
0: learning so much more about neuroscience now and neuroplasticity and, um, how our thoughts impact our behaviors. And so I think, you know, it is a, it is an exciting time and we are seeing, you know, even in the well-being movement, um, you know, there's an increase in breastfeeding now. I think people are kind of the Gina Ford um, that that sort of era were just these, you know, poor women. I feel sorry for them. They were led to believe that this was what they had to do for their babies. Yeah. And I know a lot of women. I have a lot of friends um, who are a, a bit older than me, and um, all followed that, and they they can't believe they did it now. Um, but I think we're coming back to ourselves. We're we're really seeing that we have to follow our intuition with our children and with our health and with everything that comes with it. And, I'm, you know, we're really seeing that and I'm enjoying watching that unfold because this kind of new generation is, has got a lot to teach, I think.
2: I really hope so. Because I think we've also, what we have sometimes is a generational, um, what's the term that's used? Oh, it didn't do us any harm. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yes, and
0: there is and a lot of that. And I get that from family around me. Um, mm-hmm. And then, then my answer is always, well, let's observe what fine actually means. Let's look at us all and see how fine we all actually are and see how much more fine
2: we could be yeah. given the opportunity. Exactly, optimum. And often it's with a subject that... Um, it's being said about and it's defended, let's say it's slapping for example you know hitting your children let's oh, mm-hmm. not go there today but <laughs> um <Yeah>. but <laughs> as an example you know oh it didn't do us any harm well you did because you're defending it it didn't yeah. do you any harm yeah it did because you're saying that it's okay and that cycle will probably continue and you may hit your children Absolutely. um so it did do a lot of harm
0: We find so much within ourselves when we, you know, I'm doing a lot of, I I actually, I do this course, this workshop, I don't know if you've heard of it called To Be Magnetic um, by Lacey Phillips. Um, It's kind of been like a natural progression from a lot of other, inner work I've been doing, but I have to say this has really taken me to new levels of understanding myself and understanding my conditioning and understanding the conditioning of other people and why we all are how we are and why we need to reprogram those things in order to bring ourselves into a more authentic version of ourselves. Um, And I think knowing that and knowing the work I'm doing within that and so much of it is inner child work, even going back to the womb, it it shows you how, what a big impact, you know, our our upbringing has and, and the things that our parents do and the choices we make as parents, how that will impact babies.
2: Yeah, I'll actually say that the um the womb is more important than the home, um, which you know again it, it all links it all links, and um it's why I love I love hypnobirthing so much as well because the, you know mm-hmm. they're saying that stress hormones can affect the mother's immune system, um it can lead to changes that affect the um uh, the neurological development of the fetus. I mean, there's so it's so intricate. Um, I, just, oh, I mean, I am just the such the biggest advocate
0: of hypnobirthing. We had um, Danny Doc, a hypnobirther and doula. on. Yeah, oh, I love history. Danny. She's brilliant. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm so into that. I just, you know, there's so, we, we just know that the way we respond in pregnancy and in birth will impact us and our babies. So again, mm-hmm. it always comes down to it. It's just funny because with every episode that we do, the end takeaway message is always, take it into our own hands you know take responsibility ourselves so whether that's for yeah. our healthcare, our birth plan um you know our children's mental health whatever it may be it, you know our children's education take it into our own hands and and do what feels right intuitively yeah. but kind of leading on to that and i kind of will we'll finish on this you know right now we're living through a very difficult time and i personally put lot of pressure on myself to do it right and you know Tilly for example is a great she's a great example of conscious parenting instinctively like you say you and Dom didn't read any books you didn't have any guidance on it it just came very naturally to you and I am you know in awe of people like that for me it's come from knowing that this is going to be beneficial for my babies, but I have to really work at it. You know, it's, an, it, it's kind of almost an effort to make yeah. sure that I'm doing it right and I'm putting the pressure on. And, you know, our son is approaching five and he, as a baby, he would have been what was described as high need. And um, He's not high need in that there's nothing, you know, uh, the way you would think high need is, but he's just um, the most defiant child. I could, and anyone that I know has ever met. It, so much so we had Emotional Freedom Technique, EFT, to help with his um, feeding disorder because he doesn't like eating, which is a whole other story. Um, and she said, she's a colour therapist and she said he's a red child. Um, and very rarely do you get a red, fully, you know, children are made up of different colours. Very rarely do you get a child that's fully red. And she said, this explains his defiance when you're trying to get him to eat something or asking him to do something. If he does not want to do it, he will not do it. And let's forget the food for the moment because that's, you know, we're in kind of a specific therapy for that. But it could be anything. Mm -hmm. And as lockdown has progressed, it's become even harder for me because obviously it's just me at home with him all day. There's no break from me for him. And I just wonder if you have any tips in managing a situation like that, because, and I wanted to give my personal input into that because I think often people like us who follow certain lifestyles blog about it and post about it. And it seems that it's also easy for us, but it's not at all. And, you know, so my personal story is I'm in lockdown struggling with maintaining a conscious approach and not shouting and being very calm when I'm, faced with an entire day every day of you know resistance
2: I think um, firstly be kind to yourself is the most important message (laughs) no Um, the the mum guilt has reached new levels (laughs) (laughs) Um, and also obviously you know the classic don't you know believe that everybody's living sort of some kind of idyllic life Um, we're human and and it's okay, it's okay to, to shout sometimes and to lose your patience. I mean, I absolutely do it myself, you know, because I feel like you've just put me on a little pedestal there that I'm not on. Because we're human beings, and I think the most important thing. Firstly, I would be really proud to have, and I am proud to have defiant children, because again, that's a real compliment to a secure attachment. Mm. A child who lives in fear of their parents or consequences mm. or you know, behavioural aspects. Um, isn't going to have that defiance. Yeah. Um, so and I know that that easy. will serve him,
0: <laughs> I know it will serve him really, really well later in life because yeah. he knows himself, he knows who he is, he knows what he wants, and if he doesn't want it, he's not doing it, but he's compassionate with it as well. So he's yeah. going to be a great leader one day. But absolutely. parenting a child like that is one of the most yeah. challenging things we could ever do.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And the way I, I, I think about this is, it's it's about how you respond and how you react um after the incident
1: mm. so
2: again we we're human so if if it's not always possible to to remove yourself or to take yourself away or to not just have that outburst because you know we do it, and whether it's a product of our own upbringings or, or you know you could you could go deep there, or whether it's just that we um, are human. <laughs> I keep saying that, um, but how do you, it's how you respond after. So when I lose patience with my children, which is regularly, I might just take a moment to think about that, and then I'll go into them and I'll say, I'm really sorry that I lost my temper and shouted at you about this. This is how I was feeling about it. Do you want to tell me how you were feeling about it? Mm. Um, you know, and, and I think not every parent in the world would, would apologize to their children mm. because they would think, you know, there are elements of control in parenting. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and these, again, you know, that, that takes work and, mm. and, you know, on ourselves to, to, to find a level of parenting where we don't feel that we'd, we'd, it's about control. Yeah. I mean, it, it happens, it slips out, you know, and often, you know, we are, products of our, our own upbringings or, or, or how things were done with us and that cycle often continues and mm. I certainly um, didn't, you know, have parents who would apologize to me if I was told off, mm. um, you know, and um, so that's, that's the way I, I manage personally my feelings on it. If, if I feel like, oh, do you know what, today I was just a shouty, horrible parent, uh, then I might just end the night, you know, with, with a nice story and a cuddle and I say, do you know what, I'm really sorry that I was a bit grumpy today you know as adults you know sometimes I have we have a bad day um yeah. and I'm sorry that I probably didn't deal with it very well and you know hope you'll we'll have a better day tomorrow and yeah. to tell me how you were feeling about that and also these were my feelings on it and um and I'm sorry and I love you um you know and and they're so sweet and they yeah they are
0: that's, that's the thing beginning. and then you know <laughs> I, put, I put him to bed and I'm kissing him and I adore him and like I'm singing his lullabies and reading a book and then he falls asleep and I'm just you know like want to kiss him and he's just amazing Mm. but then he wakes up in the morning and the whole thing starts all over again and then at night I do the same thing you know you know I love you and we'll you know even if we get upset with each other sometimes we still love each other and all of that but because at the end of the day and this is what I like about Sarah Ockwell Smith as well is she says they might be doing something that annoys you or something that's not right, but they are too young to understand the, the consequences, you know, even yeah. teenagers really are too young to understand consequences and to understand why we want things done a certain way. So today he was standing at the sink, pumping out my very expensive doTERRA on um, guard foaming hand wash. And by the time I got there, it was all over the bathroom floor. Yeah. And, he, and he, he heard me coming and he went, because <gasps> he knew he wasn't supposed to be doing it. So I'm like, but if you know you're not meant to be doing it, then why are you doing it? You know, and it's just constant, a series of things like that throughout the day that you get to the end of the day. And you're like, oh, my God, I'm so tired. But yeah. just understanding that they're not doing it to be malicious or to be its just children. They're just children. We just have to find ways
2: to manage ourselves within it. And the logical brain doesn't really even kick in till around kind of seven, eight years. You know, there's no, there's often no logic or reason to, to, turn or to why things are doing or, you know, and they're learning and we're guiding them. So I think just, just guiding them as best as we can, yeah. um, you know, is the answer. But again, it, it came back to what we talked about earlier, you know, without lockdown, without this unprecedented crazy time that we're living through, we, um, we still, we wouldn't have the support we needed. So now we've multiplied that by, by 10, you know, yeah. now you can't get out and escape for a coffee or cry with a, with a friend or, you know, go and go out, which, you know, which is what I, you know, at that age, we were just out all the time because it was easier yeah. than, than just struggling with being at home. You yes. know, we need that village, we need that support. So um, I think, you know, so many people are, are struggling right now. And, and it's, you know, I think just everybody doing the best they can is good really? enough right now. And I think um, the conversation up surrounding that as
0: well, you know, I, th- I think we keep having to justify, but, you know, I'm very lucky. I live in a lovely house and I have a husband and I did it today and everyone's having to justify, but you know, we're yes. 10 11 weeks into this very difficult situation, you know, where none of us have ever had to face anything like this before. Like you say, you know, in, in, in what I call peacetime at the best of times, we don't have the support we need with children. And now here we are, being forced to stay inside our houses with our children with no support, no help, no grandparents, no nothing. And just be okay because that is the world we live in. You have to just be fine and you have to be okay about things all the time. And you just have to be grateful for what you've got and not moan about anything. And I think opening up the conversation surrounding that is important. So people have feel that there is a safe place that they can talk about the fact that it is hard, they are struggling and that's okay.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I I support um, Panda's charity with, with my instructor training. I, I donate um, a fee for each student to them. They are a, um, a charity who work with um, pre and postnatal illness um, offering support. And then they just um, in this time in particular are doing such amazing work and it's all volunteers. Um, oh, wow. And there is it's just just really as an example to signpost that there is support out there and, and touching what you said. It, it's OK to know um i mean gosh i live you know in, in lockdown heaven I, I, my husband manages a, an activity center and we have you know space and land and we've been able to to be out with the kids and um but you know i'm so grateful for that but i it's also okay to feel like it's a rubbish situation and to feel yeah. down about that and to have a bad day you know yeah. it, it's okay to have both. we don't need to to hold on to those feelings because we should be feeling more grateful um yeah you know, of course, we all know that we all know that, you know, there are probably everybody has somebody out there that's worse off than we are. Yeah. And it should go
0: without saying, right? Yeah, it should. It should go without saying, because, you know, we're nearly three months into a situation that's very, very difficult. And we're allowed to, after three months of, you know, trying to manage our children and feeling exhausted, we're allowed to feel exhausted.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, but we'll put that charity in the show notes. Um, and But everything we've spoken about is so relevant to peacetime as well. Um, and people will be able to take so much away from it. So I'm so grateful for that. Um, but before we end, we, as I forewarned you, we always do this thing of what we into, where we just um, kind of lighten up the end of the show with something that we're into that week um, that could be anything to do, uh, remotely to do with, holistic living or something that um, improves your life in any way. And it could be anything. So um, what is yours this week?
2: Okay. um, So what am I into? So this week and the last, how many weeks has it been? (laughs) Actually, not that many. Um, For the last few weeks, um, I decided to join my husband. um, We're doing the burpee challenge,
1: which is an exercise.
2: Not as disgusting as it sounds. Um, so the burpees. Oh, the so burpees! It, I thought you said burpees. burpees. Burpees is in the exercise, right? Yeah, no, the exercise. So, um, so yeah, so increasing by five every day. So wow. um, we just reached a hundred, um, and I nearly died on week five on week one with five wow. burpees. Um, so at the moment, having time, I'm really in. Finally, got a little bit into exercise, which I I struggle with, and I I know how beneficial it is for my mental health. Um, and also just for my own, um, you know, perception of, of, my, of my mummy body, which I try to be really confident and positive about. But I have um, a really big uh, diastasis recti, a separation of my stomach muscles. Oh, wow. Yeah. Really severe one. I, mean, I could put my fist in there and I could see my intestines moving around. Sorry. That's a bit oh. um, no, it's so good to no, know. Again, <laughs> it's good to know that these things are normal. So I've been working, um, just before lockdown, I was seeing a woman's physio thinking finally I'm gonna try and sort this out and, and I got a, a selection of, of exercises to improve that. Um so I've also been doing those and just yeah, just trying to be a bit more um just do a bit more exercise and because yeah. it's just very beneficial for my mental health. I love it. I just always feel so much better. I um, know. I do too. It makes such yeah. a difference. And I'm saying it because it's just not like me to, to really to be into exercise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: no it's good I think so many people have taken up exercise since this has all happened and you know people are walking a lot more so I think even just to escape from their kids when their husband comes in at the end of the day people are going out for walks I think it's amazing because I always say to people if
2: you can't do anything
0: else just walk just go outside and walk
2: yeah there's this element of time at the moment um I, I again this touches on what we just said in, in terms of not feeling of, of being feeling guilty to say it but I almost feel like in some aspects I'm gonna get a little bit of post-lockdown depression yeah (laughs) my my new saying because actually you know aside from the negatives there've been so many wonderful positives and actually having that time and that just that slow living and that you know and being together um has been such a a valuable time that I think I'm actually really going to miss it and I, I hope that I don't um we don't all just slot back in to how things were I, hope there I really
0: hope so as well Daniel and I have said that about you know making sure we still do walks and yeah. just spend Sometimes. hours in the park and stuff mm-hmm. like that yeah um well I'm into this I, I mean I did mention it before but the um the Lacey Phillips to be magnetic course yeah um, I've been doing it for since November now so it's been quite well but I don't think I've ever mentioned it before and it's truly life changing for me. So I, um, yeah, I thought I'd, I'd mention that this week because I've been really into it at the moment and it's opening up some great stuff in my life. So yeah, I I'm into that and I'll, 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 I'll put that in the show notes as well. But Crystal, thank you so much. Um the information that you have provided here is just so expansive for so many people because we really, do need to come back to ourselves and our own intuition as parents and give our babies what they deserve so thank you thank you you for having me you're so welcome we really hope you enjoyed this episode of healthy happy home we're so grateful to every single one of you who chooses to press play please connect with us over on instagram at healthy happy home podcast we have a heap of amazing giveaways and discounts and remember to use the hashtag
1: #ElevationNation. And if you enjoy our show, why not tell your fellow elevators about us or people who you think could benefit from each episode message. Rating, reviewing and subscribing to Healthy Happy Home will also help other people to find us so that we can grow our Elevation Nation. Thank you to Mega Home Water Distillers for sponsoring this season of Healthy Happy Home. Head over to megahome-distillers.co.uk to learn more about the most reliable and efficient home drinking water distiller on the market, and to benefit from a 5% discount as a listener of Healthy Happy Home by using the code HHH5 at checkout. Thank you to Megahome.